Jonah and continuing the story of Jonah to the place where Jonah has now, who has fled, fled from God, is now coming to the place where he can't go any further from, from God. What do I mean? Well, he was supposed to go up to Nineveh. He went the opposite direction. And every step he took, he went further and further down until finally, as we read this morning, he was in the depths of the earth and he could not flee any further. I invite you to stand with me now as we hear the word of God this morning. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. And he answered me, from, from the deep of the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. And I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed and was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me, in, barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayers rose to you, to your holy temple. And those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. This is the word of God. You may be seated. I, I, I read things in the Bible that disturb me, and sometimes I think, okay, well, maybe I don't understand everything I read in the Bible. Maybe Mark Twain was right. You know what he said about the Bible? He said it wasn't the things in the Bible that he didn't understand that bothered him. It was the things he did understand that bothered him. Well, I want you to know that as much as I uh, read the scriptures and enjoy this the, 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 uh, the truth of them, uh, there is one hard and fast truth, and that is not many people are swallowed by big fish. And you think to yourself when you read a passage like this, this has just got to be some fairy tale. Well, believe it or not, there was a diver off the shores of Australia who was diving one evening, and as he was diving, he was swallowed by a whale. And he lived to tell the tale. So are we to believe this is fictitious? Heavens no. No, this is God at work. 
If God can form the sun and the moon and the stars, if he can raise even Jesus Christ from the dead, can he not cause a man to be swallowed by a fish and live? So it's not really the problem of the story. It's whether we really understand who God is. That's your problem. That's my problem. You see, the truth of the matter is you and I are, by nature, idolaters. We create God in our image instead of realizing we were created in his. And so as we dig into this particular chapter this morning, there are some things that Jonah reveals, the book of Jonah reveals about God that I want you to see because it really deals with your life. And by the way, do you, do you know in the Gospels that when Jesus was confronted by the religious leaders and they demanded a sign that he was the promised one, do you know he actually quoted the book of Jonah being swallowed by a whale and the third day he was released? And Jesus used that illustration to talk about what would happen with him at the, at the crucifixion and resurrection. Isn't that amazing? Huh. Well, here's what we're to learn from this story this morning that is very important. And that is that grace is what God is about. He is a God of grace. And so when you think about God being gracious to you, what this really means is God does not give you what you deserve. He is merciful. He does not give us what we deserve. But even more, what God does is he supplies what we cannot obtain for ourselves. I was driving through our neighborhood one day, and I, I saw a, a guy who was a neighbor who was driving a Lamborghini down the road. And I thought to myself, good Lord, look at that car. And then I was reminded by my neighbor who told me, you'll never be able to own one. And I thought, yep. And I'm not sure I'd want one either. But the most amazing thing is we go through life, you and I, we go through life thinking that somehow if we obtain more, if we have more, if we have more money, more fame, more whatever, then we'll have life. Well, I want you to know that's, a, that's an idol. That's an object you worship because you believe that brings meaning to your life. And the saddest part about it is that we're all like this. And God is insulted when those who he has created love things more than him. That's what the story of Jonah is really about. Jonah is the reluctant prophet of the Old Testament. Do you know what that means? He knew what God wanted him to do, but he didn't want to do it. Ever been there? Uh, I don't know about you, but there have been multiple times when I've told God, God, I'm never going to do that. And guess what God asks you to do? The exact thing that you don't want to do. Why does he do that? Because God is in the purpose of revealing his grace and glory in your life. If God were to ask you to do what you could do in your own power, then who would receive the praise? Wouldn't it be you? You see, God wants you to know him. And when we talk about God's grace, it is irresistible. That's one of the penance of our faith, that God's grace is irresistible. When a person comes to understand what God has done for them in Jesus Christ, they cannot resist God anymore. It's, it's almost as if uh, 
as a child, I remember my grandmother would babysit me. My parents would drop me off, and we'd go into this big, beautiful country home. And my grandmother would cook supper, and we would have a wonderful time. And then she would literally have to chase me around the house to get me to settle down. Uh, I know many of you never had children like that, but that's okay. I probably was a problem child anyway. But she would literally chase me around the house and grab me, and the one thing I never wanted was her to hold me, but yet she would hold me lovingly, caringly, and sit in a rocker and rock me until I fell asleep. There are times in my life when I wish I had those arms to rock me again. Don't you? That was my grandmother's grace. Well, that's what we're talking about this morning is as we dig into this particular chapter, we're going to find something that really is quite true, and that is the grace of God is not something we understand here. It's something we experience here. And when you look at the book of Jonah and you read particularly Jonah's prayer, you must begin to wrestle with what Jonah wrestled with and saw as understanding God's grace. And the first is that he didn't deserve it that he had Ill, moral ill deserts. J.I. Packer writes this in one of his books, Knowing God. He talks about how the fact that you and I, by our very nature, are not people who are prone to love God. We are prone to run away from God, just like Jonah. And in fact, in running away from God, we will worship and serve other things to the point that we will try to blur or even numb our conscience concerning our, our relationship to God and why he created us in such a way that we begin to practice things that aren't good and light and true. But here's the catch. When we come to know God and see his holiness and his expectations and his designs for how he created us, we become very aware that we are never going to be good enough. We are never going to be able to drive the Lamborghini. Jesus put it this way in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is he teaching? He's teaching that the person who comes to know the grace of God first must know the depth of their own inability to live a moral life their inability to live the life that they know they should be living. The second is like it in the sense that it deals with a spiritual impotence. That when we, we come to this knowledge of God and what God wants us to do and we flee from it or run in the opposite direction, even when we desire maybe to do what God wants us to do, we don't have the wherewithal to do it. And then thirdly, Packer goes on to point out, he says that finally there's a costly death. In other words, when Jonah fled God because he didn't want to go and tell people in Nineveh to repent from their sins and return to God, he had to ultimately end up in the place where that kind of disobedience would lead him. And it was in the depths of the earth. It was a sign of death itself. You say, why is that so important? Well, notice, go back and look at the passage. In that passage, God has done everything he could to bring Jonah to that place where he would say, yes, Lord, thy will be done in me as it is done in heaven. But instead of having that prayer, Jonah fled God, and because he fled so far, finally he was on a ship 
with people who didn't know him and they knew more about what was right and wrong than Jonah did so that when the storm came up and they recognized they were in trouble and asked Jonah, why is this happening? He said, it's because of me. Throw me in the sea. And even then, these immoral men didn't want to sacrifice his life, so they did everything they could to save him. But in the end, they knew that it was hopeless, and so they did exactly what he proposed. They threw him into the water. And you would think that would be the death. But God's grace was at work so that the fish who swallowed Jonah was actually saving his life. And it's in that place that we hear Jonah come to his senses. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Why did it take that much to bring him to that place? What was going on in his heart that he would resist God so strongly? Well, the answer was he was reluctant to trust God. And in God's grace and mercy, God arranged the first submarine ride for the first person in the world. Was it for Jonah's sake? No, it was for God's glory. Because during that moment, it's then that Jonah began to realize that his life was in a direction going that was not going to bring forth not only his happiness, but God's glory. It wasn't going to please God at all. Well, as you get into this a little deeper, you find that that's truly what God's grace is about. Grace, receiving what we do not deserve, really experienced only in the valley. So what do I mean by that? Well, some of you are dealing with things in your life right now where you, you are going to everyone else but God to help you. Um, I had a gentleman who came to me years ago who said, you know, I have been watching Dr. Phil on TV. And I said, really? And he said, yes. I'm, and I, and I've, I've watched him long enough to know exactly what your problem is. And I said, oh, really? And he said, absolutely. Let me help you with that. And so he told me what my problem was. And then he went on to say, and Dr. Phil says, if you'll do this, this, and this, then everything will work out fine. And you know what I, I realized when he was telling me this? He wasn't talking about me. He was talking about himself. You see, in his mind, fixing his problems was fixing everyone else. Ever had people like that in your life? Why, why is that s such a hindrance? Because he was convinced that he could solve his own dilemma or fix his own problems. And a person like that will never know the grace of God. Why? Because the condition we are born into cannot be educated out of us. It cannot be medicated and removed by surgery. The problem we face can only be removed and cleansed by God. And when Jonah came to that point of grace, 
when he realized everything he had done, everything he believed in, everything he had trusted in was not going to serve his purposes, he suddenly cried out to God in this prayer and said, God, I call upon you. Did you notice the passage? Look carefully. He, he says in verse 4, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Why does he say that? Well, in the days of the Old Testament, the Holy Temple was that place that people went to experience the presence of God. And inside the most sacred room of that temple was called the Holiest of Holies. And that room, only one person entered that room once a year called the High Priest. And they made sure that they followed all of the instructions God had given for that priest to go into that place. They had to wash him seven times. They had to make sure the clothes he wore were washed seven times. They had to prepare him in rituals that you would not imagine so that at that one moment when he entered the presence of God where the Ark of the Covenant was that Moses had carried from, uh, from before the children of Israel, that he would be sinless or at least acknowledged his sins in such ways that God presence would not cause him to perish and as the priest would enter that time he would carry the blood of a sacrifice of a lamb that was offered on behalf of his people and there where the law of God was kept in the ark and the holiness of God was displayed he would take the blood and pour it on top of the ark so that the blood of the lamb would cover the ark or what was called the seat of God. And in that ritual, the people came and acknowledged their sins. And they publicly proclaim, proclaimed to God that not only had they sinned, but they could never take away their sins. And only through the blood of the Lamb would God provide a forgiveness that he would make an atonement. And we know now that that ritual was the forbearing or the foreshadowing of the life of Christ that would be given on the cross for you. And so in the midst of that moment when he had fled from God, in the midst of that moment when Jonah had resisted God, he came to the end of himself and he cries out to God. I was with a, I was with a young woman years ago who was at a, a waitress job in a restaurant. And we were talking and she asked me, she said, well, what do you do for a living? And I, I was hesitant to say, you know, people these days, when you have your pastor moving next door to you, get a little worried. And I said, well, I, I pastor a church. And she says, really? And I said, yeah. She said, you're unlike any pastor I've ever talked to before. And I asked her, well, why, why is that? She said, well, you haven't told me anything I've done wrong in my life the whole time you talked to me. And I said, well, I, I, I didn't know what to say. And so she went on to talk a little further and say, not only that, you seem to genuinely care about me. And I said, well, I do. I just wondered, why are you so surprised by that? She said, 
Because in all honesty, I wouldn't think that anyone would care for me. And then she went on to describe her life and her story of her life in such ways that I began to think, I don't want to talk to this woman. I mean, she'd been involved with some things that I was thinking, wow, that's pretty bad. But the more she began to talk, the more I began to realize she was talking out of a need to be forgiven. I'll never forget the first time it happened. I was coming back from Boston after a a Saturday of enjoying the downtown area while I was in school. I'd gotten on the train that was going to carry me from Boston to Ipswich, which was a little community outside of the North Cape and Peninsula. And as I sat down, I didn't want to talk to anyone. I didn't want to talk to anyone about God. I, I was exhausted of trying to study about God and know him and, and, and just wanted a break from all of that. You know, church had become something of a routine in many ways. And the most amazing thing was as I sat there in that train, I sat where two seats were facing each other. I don't know why I did that, but I just sat down exhausted, sitting down, and I was reading, of all things, a book written that was a bestseller that year called Adrift. And the book was about a young man who had decided he was going to sail around the world, but halfway through his trip, a whale had knocked over his boat and capsized it. And so the story goes through the rest of the story about how he survived on a raft until he was finally saved. And so I was deeply in this book, and as I was sitting on that train, I just wanted to be alone. I wanted to be away from people. And sure enough... A young, attractive woman who was coming out of her work, obviously it was about the 5 o'clock rush hour, came onto the train and there were two men who were very interested in her. Let me tell you, women, that was the most tantalizing thing you've ever seen in your life, to have that much interest from two men at one time. And obviously they were taken by her beauty and she was enjoying every moment. And so they came onto the train, and there I was sitting alone reading this book called Adrift, because I was. And she sat beside me, and the other two sat across from me, so that the four of us were facing each other. If I could have found a hole to crawl into, I would have enjoyed it. But it was at that moment, as the train lurched and started, that she turned to me and said, what are you reading? And I kept thinking, what, are you, what is your game? You've got two guys chasing you already. You need a third. But as I heard her voice, I began to realize there's something else going on. And so I said, well, I'm reading a book called Adrift. And she goes, oh. She said, do you work here in downtown? I said, no. No, I go to school. She said, where do you go to school? And I said, well, I go to Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary. And she said, I don't think I've ever heard of that. Where are you from? And, she's, and I said, well, I'm from South Carolina. And she said, and this is about the time the PTL scandal handled, happened with Jim Baker. Remember that? And she said to me, oh, 
do you know Jim Baker? And I thought to myself, Lord, come back now. But her next question was the most piercing. She said, do you think he can be forgiven? In the words of Jonah, I said, well, if he goes through the right discipline and he repents, then maybe he can be restored. That was the most judgmental attitude you could ever imagine. And I'll never forget, the train finally came to that stop where I was getting off. And as I was walking down the steps, y'all, I'm not a spiritist in the sense of believing in tremendously miraculous moments. But I could hear God speak to me as I took the last step off the train onto the side of the tracks. And God asked me, Robert, do you think she asked you if Jim Baker could be forgiven because she cares about Jim Baker? I thought, no. She was asking if she could be forgiven. I promised at that point, God, I will never be ashamed of you again. Ever. I wish I could go back. I would love to tell her about the grace of God. Wouldn't you? Well, you know, Jonah got the chance. When he had gone deep enough into the earth that he realized that his behavior was so dishonoring to God, it so violated who God is, it so insulted God that he finally relented. He cries out again. If you turn into chapter 2, verse, verse 8, he says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could have been theirs. What, is he, what does he mean by that? It means that those people who will never come to that place at the end of their rope are always looking for the ways they can solve their own problems. And they are resisting God. And those who continue to do that will never know the grace of God. I can tell you, I've talked to people many times. When I talk with them about a faith and a relationship with Christ, you ask the two questions that are really really a way of diagnosing where they are. You say, well, you know, if you were, if you were and this is after a long conversation, by the way, but if you were to die today, do you know you'll go to heaven or is that something you're still working on? Almost to every person I've ever talked to, they always say, well, I'm still working on that. But when I asked the second question, it's even more revealing. And I said, well, let's just say you did die today and you were to stand before God. And he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? How would you respond? And almost to the person. Everyone will go on to say, well, I went to church. I listened to a preacher probably longer than I should have. I, I gave money to the Salvation Army or the clothes to help the poor. I did a lot of good things. 
And none of that, none of that is going to save them. Not one of them. Why? Because the Bible says when we have violated one of God's sins, we are worthy of his judgment. And in the midst of that situation, God was merciful and gracious to not only you and me, but to Jonah. And he gave Jonah life. This is why Jesus quoted Jonah's story in the New Testament. Because the work he would accomplish on the cross would be a work of salvation that we could not get ourselves. Notice in verse 9, Jonah ends this way. But I will sing a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good, for salvation comes from the Lord. Did you hear it? He is no longer looking for someone else to fix him. He turns to God. And it's at that moment that God says, throw him up on the sea. And the fish vomits him there. What about you? Are you resisting God? Is there something you're involved in in your life that you know is not God's will for you, but you're running from him? Well, I've got really good news. God is so gracious and loving that if you will turn and return to him, he will forgive and cleanse and restore you. And he'll do it right now. Amen? Well, if I'd have been the Ninevites and I would have seen a guy who was bleached from the acid of a fish come walking into town and saying, repent, that probably would have been the greatest evangelistic tool in the history of the church. Is that what happened? You'll have to come back next week and find out. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our Father, as we think about what it is to follow Jesus Christ in our days, we want to acknowledge that there are times when we suffer the assurance of our faith because of various sins that we fall into. There are times when we feel no assurance or a distance from you because of the circumstances that happen in life. That sometimes our assurance of Christ being enough can be weakened and interrupted by all kinds of psychological problems we face or from being tempted in things that we know we shouldn't do. We can even lose the sense of God's favor. We thank you, God, that your grace is much greater than all our sins. And your message this morning is that we, we have been saved from our sins to pursue God. Our simple prayer is, O oh Lord, give me the wisdom to know just how to do that. 
and to turn away from what's wicked in your sights. We ask and we pray humbly in the name of Jesus, our Lord. And the people of God said together, Amen. Amen.